When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be back in the studio with a very special guest who's joining me this evening and happens to be our very own in-house legal contributor, Carol Weinman. She's going to be joining me in just a moment. Carol is an attorney. She's a consultant, a speaker, and an expert in autism. And Carol's story of determination to find her calling is truly inspirational. So I'm very much looking forward to sharing her story. Be sure to stay with us during the breaks where you'll hear from our watch team contributors, Carol Wyman for our legal watch, Dr. Marianne Ritchie for our health watch, Mary Manzo for our tech watch, and Holly Dowling for our leadership watch. And I'm thrilled to say that very shortly, um, we will be announcing some brand new members to our watch team. So stay tuned for that. So without further ado, I'm going to go right to Carol and welcome her to the show this evening. Carol, thanks so much for being here. Oh, I'm really happy to be here. Very excited about this. I love the concept of the story behind the title. Well, I appreciate that. And you and I, we met, you know, sometimes timing is everything. We (laughs) met years ago um, at an event and uh, years later, you know, you reached out to me and it was just perfect timing to bring you on as part of the show. And now today to share your own story behind your title of lawyer and autism expert and speaker and consultant. So I'm excited to dive right in. And I wanted to start with a quote, uh, because I think this says a lot about who you are and what has driven you to do the work that you're doing. You said to me in a conversation, what I searched for my whole life was what mattered to me and what I should be doing. So talk for a few minutes about what that means to you and why it connects directly to you as a young girl growing up in Cheltenham, I should mention, right here outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, born and bred in Philadelphia or outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, My roots are here. Yes, I spent the better part of my life from the time I was very young on some level trying to figure out what really was important to me and what I was passionate about and what I was committed to. And... Somewhere along the way, I just had this internal drive to have my work be my passion. And I never saw it as a job. I never saw it as a nine to five. It was always about making a difference in the world, impacting people on a big level, feeling that I had really contributed. And it was a very winding road for me to get to where I am today. Yeah. 
I started out, I uh, had a natural talent at a very young age for writing. So I started out in communications and got my undergraduate degree in communications and went out and about in the world and did, uh, I was a writer first, then I was an account executive doing slide presentations of all things. And then I was the head of an advertising department in New York City and then decided, you know what, this it just isn't feeling like I'm making, uh, it wasn't meaningful enough. Mm, and yeah. what could I do next? Right. And what could I also do that would be more independent that I could do on my own? Mm-hmm. And it was at that juncture that I was even thinking ahead about five years out, what could I do that I could be independent, more entrepreneurial? Right. And that's when I started to look at law. I went into law to really help people and make a difference. Yeah. And after I got in it, I found that wasn't as easy as I had hoped it would be (laughs) Uh, because I was up against some very big systems out there that have been in force for many, many years and are not quick to change. Right. As we may talk more as as we go on in our interview. So that that has been a very challenging task for me to try to make an impact on a system that has some investment in staying the same. Yeah, that's so interesting because you're you're talking about being an entrepreneur, but yet you're within this system that has been in place. And there are things that you can do as the owner of your own firm, but then there, of course, there are laws and, and legalities uh, that are, you know, restrict you to some point. I want to go back for just a second because I think a key part of your story is your family and, and your place in that family. And you were the youngest of four. And I love that mom and dad were married for 72 two years, which is quite unusual, (laughs) and um, raised in, uh, as you mentioned, Cheltenham. And you had mentioned to me that you have three siblings, two are attorneys and one is a doctor. So those are high achieving people. And you were the, the baby that felt kind of Perhaps that wasn't the path you were meant to go, but yet you later decided to do that. So talk to me about that conflict of feeling you were different than everyone else in the family and yet then going on to to become a professional yourself. And then we'll talk about what you're doing today. Sure. Yeah, I always felt very different. And being the youngest of four, I felt like I was in the shadows a lot of my siblings. They were very accomplished, and I hadn't gotten there yet. And I would look at them and always be comparing myself. And uh, I was the one in the family that was more creative. I, you know, listened to a different drummer, so to speak. I... I had emotional intelligence, a very high emotional, what we call today emotional intelligence. Uh, And my family was not like that. My parents were not like that. My siblings were not like that. They were more into conforming and and following the straight straight line. Uh, I was never into conforming. Uh, And I think that growing up in that, um, I found that I always had to battle and fight my way up to have a voice Mm -hmm. and to be heard and to be acknowledged and validated for how I was different. And oddly enough, I think that that has served me well as I got older to why I advocate as well as I do and to why I always want to be a voice for others Mm -hmm. uh, and why I have always wanted to champion the underdog. I think it traces back to some of my roots of being in an environment where I felt like I was doing that for myself. Mm. And... And I never really felt that anybody got me. I really never thought they understood me. And that's also translated really well into my work. It's really funny when you look back and the picture starts to become clearer Mm. in that um, I I often get feedback from the clients I work with. Boy, Carol, you really get it. 
and you really understand and there's a certain empathy and i really think that somewhere along the line that became very important to me not only to do for myself but to have other people not feel alone not feel that they were the odd ones out to to know know that there were other people like them and that there were other people that understood and that there were other people that supported them. Yeah. You, you know, the irony of that is um, it, it's hard to feel different than everyone else when in actuality it's it's amazing to be different, right? Because we're always teaching our kids, don't be like everyone else. Don't follow and do what everyone else is doing. So there's so much irony in that. I want you to talk for a few minutes about your grandma, because your grandmother um, was a, a great influence in your life and someone who I would imagine you are innately like. Um, so tell the listeners I, just I, a I, little bit about her. I'd like to I'd like to believe that because I, I really admired her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my grandmother, uh, who lived until 95, so I got to have her around for quite a while, which was great, too. Um, she also championed for causes and underdogs. She, uh, My grandmother was um, jailed for, I can't tell you an exact number, I think it was at least over 12 to, to 15 times for protesting. Wow. And she was uh, very much in supporting unions. Uh, and she was, you know, from the stories I know, was always on the front lines. And I so admired her for that, especially at a time when women were not really doing that kind mm. of thing quite as much, or they were the rare ones that were, were doing that. Uh, and my grandmother was the one person that I felt as a young child really believed in me, mm -hmm. um, unconditionally loved me and supported me for who I was, saw some of the positive qualities that I had. Uh, and so she was always a very safe place for me. I used to love to be visiting with her. Mm -hmm. She also, which was unusual on that day, she and my grandfather owned a candy store in the on the floor level of what is now Temple University Center City. Okay. Wow. On Walnut wow. Street. Yeah. And I used to just love to hang out with them in the candy store. Um, but again, entrepreneurial. I mean, she owned a candy store. She and my grandfather at a time when people didn't do, you know, women didn't do that. Right, right. So she was a terrific role model for me. And I, and she always made it clear to me that I should have a profession in addition to just being married or, or whatever. Mm. At a time where I was being sold a lot of the Cinderella story. Yeah, she was and encouraging you to be independent. She was encouraging me to, at the same time to be independent and self-supported. Yeah, I love that. Um, listen, we're going to take a break and we're going to hear your segment as we're going into the break, um, which is very timely with uh, September and kids going back to school. So stay with us. You're listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back with Carol Wyman. Now the Women to Watch. Hi, this is Carol Weinman with Legal Watch. With a new school year just underway, we know many students are sad to say goodbye to summer and welcome in a new school year. But did you know about the abundance of students for whom a new school year means anxiety about being bullied? Some students who are afraid frequently choose to stay home rather than face the bullying abuse. And with the internet, cyberbullying is also a real threat. The reaction to those doing the bullying is taking various forms nationwide. In Buffalo, New York, an anti-bullying law punishes parents if their child violates laws on bullying. Parents can be fined $250 or be sentenced to 15 days in jail or both. In Pennsylvania, State Rep. Frank Burns plans to propose legislation requiring parents to pay up to $500 if their child is a habitual bully. So, what about the school's responsibility? 
To prevent those students who are the bullies, schools can step up efforts by conducting staff training on bullying policies and rules. Schools can also incorporate bullying prevention in lessons and activities. If your child is the one being bullied, you may want to go over how to handle potential bullying. And if you have a child receiving special education, look to the IEP to help you. Your child is legally entitled to a free, appropriate public education. Bullying can often be an obstacle to receiving that education, warranting a plan. So make sure to include the school in your efforts to prevent bullying. And most of all, take all the necessary steps to protect your child. If you have concerns or questions, contact me at AutismLegal.com. Attorney and leading autism expert Carol Weinman offers one-of-a-kind solutions to your legal and autism needs. Recognized nationwide as the one and only autism legal expert, Weinman delivers exceptional results. Weinman is a master at putting together pieces to create a remarkable outcome. Contact Weinman at 215-591-3614 or at AutismLegal.com. That's AutismLegal.com. Carol Weinman, the leading nationwide expert autism attorney. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Speaking this evening with Carol Weinman, my very own in-house legal um, watch team contributor. And Carol is an attorney and a consultant, an international speaker, and autism expert based here in Philadelphia. Just before the break, we were talking about your grandmother. Um, and I always, I always love when there's women who were brave and speaking out in a time when it really was um, not expected. And so tell me what that impact has had on you today when you think when you you've made that connection now that um, or maybe I'll say you've made peace with the younger Carol who was kind of searching for where you belonged and now you are are there in this work that you're doing Um, tell me what part of your grandmother stays with you when you're perhaps um, going through some difficult times in your work today well honestly my grandmother's with me all the time I feel like she's on my shoulder Uh, and in addition as I got older Uh, There were other women on my father's side that I found were also very inspirational and that I found that I felt I belonged. Um, I had an aunt and a cousin who were very similar. There was a lineage of very strong, independent women. Um, My aunt cause was always uh, hunger and homelessness. Uh, So I got to see more of it as I got older and to see where my place was and where I may have had some of that instilled also. So... She's always with me when I do have times when I may um, may be trying times, um, questioning times. Uh, There has I don't know quite how to put a particular word to it, Sue, but there's always been a part of me um, inside that just has a drive and an ambition um, 
to make the world a better place. And I really think that I did get that from many of the women on that side. I, uh, it's really funny too, I, when you said the word determination, of all the words for you to pick at the beginning of this interview, I have to laugh at a school friend that I met up with several years ago at was my best friend in kindergarten and first grade and whatever. And when I said, what do you remember about me? So funny when you people see you, she said, you were so determined. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, that's what I remember about you. Wow. Yeah. yeah and you don't normally see that in a kid. Um, but do you feel that part of that determination uh, was to prove to others that you know, perhaps you had something of value to offer, or was it only that determination to make the world a better place? No, no. I think as a young kid, it was the determination to prove that I was good enough. <laughs> I think in my family, and I know a lot of us feel that, you know, I never felt good enough. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it is such a good place to be in today. And this is not has not been for that many years that I feel that I'm in this good a place to have found my quote calling. Mm -hmm. And I use that word because somebody else had used it yeah. for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I always wanted to find out what my purpose was. And I felt that a lot of my life was searching for that. And I could feel this longing and this sort of inter yearning for what that was. And, uh, and then it sort of found me and everything sort of came and, and fell into place. Yeah. And I really think that's important for women to hear because it wasn't uh, that um, any one thing, it wasn't, it, it, I want women to know from, at least from my story, that it isn't even necessarily something that is formally taught, but it's a combination of who you are and, and, your, and your experiences in life, and then maybe some of your formal education. But the other thing for me that was so important um, that I would probably, if I had to use one word to sum up my life, it was authenticity. I wanted to be authentic to who I am and to feel comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. And I really feel that that's where I am now. And it's a very different way to go through life, um, to really be able to be authentic and not be uh, posturing or worrying about people's opinions mm -hmm. or what they're thinking of me or that I have to be a certain way or uh, just being comfortable with what I believe in and my truth and my voice. And um and yes, it's come together in uh, my work as a lawyer, um, my work as a trial lawyer, especially to be uh, in a courtroom and, and be giving a really strong voice to issues that I was very passionate about, mm -hmm. uh, to clients that I felt very committed to. Um, and then to take that and combine it with autism uh, and the law to have two areas that I am so passionate of, autism and law. Uh, and to be able to bring them together has been unbelievably rewarding, just unbelievably rewarding, um, because I really do feel that I'm making a difference, a yeah. real difference of people um, who really need somebody on their side. Yeah, we should, t by the way, tell the listeners why autism. Let's talk about why that is so uh, yeah. uh, close to your heart. Yeah, well, that's another, <laughs> that's another good reason, I think, to be mindful that you never know where your journey in life is going to take you. Um, because I always tell people I would have never dreamed in a million years if you had asked me that I would be here. Right. And I am in the field and world of autism because I gave birth to um, my son, one of twin boys, uh, 23 years ago. And I, uh, it was a, um, 
a, tr a trying birth with some issues. And the reason I say that is because I could anticipate that there might be problems on the horizon with one or both of my sons based on that. And I started to see signs in my one son uh, that something was not right. And for the first three and a half years of his life, because I saw those signs very early on, I was tirelessly researching and trying to figure out what it was that was different about my son. Autism was not even in our vocabulary here at that time. Uh, it, it's hard to believe today, but it wasn't. And I was all alone. I was all alone in it. And I had to try to figure out what was going on. And the, and the doctors were really of no help at that point either. Uh, the pediatrician, when he was very young, said, well, he may be ADD, I'm not sure, um, which is often the case. But that was probably new as well, that term? It, I think it was being highly diagnosed then, okay. yes. Mm -hmm. And some of, the, some of the symptoms early on can be somewhat similar. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally speaking, so what happened is that I did finally, after, uh, you know, endless, endless hours and, uh, you know, months of researching this, finally came up with a list that I said, oh, my goodness, that's my son. And I, I still remember that day looking at the kid and go, wait a minute, that one, two, three, sign, that's my son. And it was Asperger's. And that's when I realized that uh, that's what my son was. I was very clear about it. And then within a couple of months from the time I figured it out, I took him down to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia where they had the just started an autism uh, clinic. Wow. Or, or, and, and they diagnosed him okay. with the same diagnosis. Now, um, Asperger's and autism, just real quickly, the difference? Well, Asperger's is, is a term that's not actually being used anymore. It's been phased out. Okay. Uh, and it's and it's autism spectrum disorder. Okay. But it's it's it was considered people. It's people that are very high functioning, and there's some other subtleties that are different that were different from Asperger's and autism. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk more about you know your decision when you had that um, kind of awakening. I'll say um, what you decided to do over the next uh, couple of years. You're listening to Women to Watch. Stay with us during the break. You'll hear from Dr. Marianne Ritchie for our health watch. Now the Women to Watch. From Jefferson University Hospital, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Germs are everywhere, on your hands, things you touch. According to the Center for Disease Control, washing with soap and water is one of the most important steps to getting rid of germs and preventing their spread. In hospitals, it's the single most important step to reducing infection. Studies show that hand washing can prevent one in three diarrhea and one in five respiratory infections like cold, flu, even shingles and chickenpox. We touch our nose, eyes, mouth without thinking and introduce germs into our bodies. Hands with germs prepare our food and drinks. Ugh. Germs are on doorknobs, tables, toys, shopping cart handles, TV remotes, especially in hotels. Ugh. When you visit someone in the hospital, avoid touching surfaces, doorknobs, and railings. What's the right way to wash? Wet your hands with clean running water, lather with soap, scrub palms, backs of your hands, between fingers, under your nails for at least 20 seconds. Time it, sing happy birthday song twice. No, it's not how hot the water, but the friction that counts. Then rinse with clean running water and use a clean towel or air dry. When to wash? Before, during, and after preparing food, before eating, before and after caring for someone who's sick, treating a cut or wound, please, after using the bathroom, changing a diaper, or cleaning a child after the bathroom, after blowing your nose, coughing or sneezing, touching an animal, their food or cage, or animal feces, after touching trash, 
or if your hands are visibly dirty or greasy. Studies have not found an added health benefit from using soaps with antibacterial ingredients. If soap and water are not available, use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. So divas, wash your hands. It's great to share, but not your cooties. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's F-H-B-A-I-R-D.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WP. I'm joined this evening by Carol Weinman, uh, an attorney here in Philadelphia who happens to be our Legal Watch contributor. My name is Sue Rocco, and you're listening to Women to Watch. And uh, Carol was talking about the discovery that her son, one of uh, her two boys, twins, um, had autism. And this was at a time when it was very new. Uh, People were hearing about it for the first time. And knowing you and your determination, not only to figure that out and diagnose him yourself— Tell me what that very next step was. Did you call up the doctor, the family doctor, and say, I figured it out? <laughs> no. What did you do? <laughs> that I didn't do. <laughs> um, although I, on a little bit of a, of a diversion on that, you know, uh, point for a second, I did have many people along the way with my son whom I had to disagree with. Mm-hmm. And it, well, I didn't go to the pediatrician, but there were many people that worked with my son that made recommendations and told me what they thought he had, and I and I disagreed with vehemently. Mm-hmm. And I stood my ground. And actually, I am very proud to say that a couple of them came back to me later once they got to know my son mm-hmm. and said, Carol, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I didn't want to do it the standard way. Mm-hmm. Again, the all, one-size-fits-all way. Um, I'm very much about thinking outside the box and thinking to each individual. And I did the same thing with my son. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I, so to go back to your question, what happened next was that I then uh, spent the time from the time my son was about four until really uh, even still today. uh, But uh, when he was younger, even more so, of going from one therapist to another, first finding out what kind of therapist I needed, doing therapies at home with him, uh, being his coach, uh, and and basically getting everything. I wanted to be sure that I was getting him everything he needed. 
And was he in a regular school at that time? He was in a, he was in a uh, specialized preschool. Okay. After after he was kicked out of two regular ones. Okay. <laughs> and for not being well for like pulling it. down the entire bookshelves in the room oh, and for okay. yeah. punching kids out and mm. things that I know parents who have kids on the spectrum can relate to. Uh, and um, and then I did mainstream him. Okay. But I was the one behind the scenes that was always proactively vigilantly watching him and and monitoring him and speaking with the teachers. And I was right in the thick of it all the time. Uh, And so what happened is that as I went through this journey of mine and with my son, uh, I I became very educated, self-educated on autism. Um, I, I really had to learn it inside out. I felt to be able to um, help my son and have him be able to live as independent and normalized a life as he could. And I knew that I would have no life if I didn't get his life mm. in order. And we should mention you got divorced, so you were a single mother. I was a single mother. This. Yes, I was a single mother from the time they were about four. Okay, that's uh, hard. raising them basically on my own. Uh, and um, and so uh, that was its own challenge, <laughs> which is also. Um, made, I think it's made me a better family lawyer when I have had to do family law and deal with mm-hmm. people of divorce or people that are dealing with a child on the spectrum uh, for custody issues. So this issue of autism has run through a lot of different areas that I've dealt with. And understanding the autism has brought um, a certain expertise to these areas that is is unique and that, that I'm very grateful for in that regard. So what happened is that I became so versed on the topic. And then um, in my usual fashion of, you know, what can I do to help other people? What can I do with all of this now and put and pay back or put it back out in there? And I founded Autism Advisors and Advocates, which was my way of, of forming a company to help parents not be so alone. I didn't want them to be as alone as I was. And, and so I founded it and started running parent workshops, consulting with parents on non-legal issues as well. Just Were on, people naturally coming to you, knowing that you had this knowledge? Was was there someone who came and said, gosh, I could use your advice on this? I Only after they knew that I was out okay. there. Yeah. I wouldn't say that they came to me that way because I was really um, pretty pretty alone. I, 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 there wouldn't any, uh, it didn't really happen that way. Okay. Uh, it was more that I started to promote, and then I had also been trained in ABA, uh, Applied Behavior um, Analysis, which is the gold standard now for treatment for autism. So all of these little um, uh, different roads that I had taken along the way all came together. And so I... uh, I, I wanted to, it was, I, I always called it my postgraduate work. You know, I mean, law was a postgraduate degree, but learning about autism was another postgraduate degree. But you degree. were doing this while you were working full-time as a lawyer. At, while I was working part-time. Part-time, as a okay. I could not, and I, I had my own practice. Right. I, like, again, and this is a whole, to me, you could have an hour on this topic, of how parents, and more often mothers than, than fathers, have to pull back or completely abandon their profession. Yeah. to take care of their child. And fortunately, Sue, I could do it part-time because I was on my own and I could, you know, carve out the hours that I was going to work. Mm-hmm. But there are parents who are in full-time jobs. I mean, I gave a uh, presentation early on when I was doing this 
And I'll never forget this mother came up to me. She was a, a physician, a doctor, and she had to stop practicing. Wow. Okay? Wow. And that that's not, it shouldn't have to be that way. But no, I could not work full time uh, I, uh, until uh, my son was grown. Because to me, he was my full time job. He well, was my full time. And here's a question for you that we didn't really discuss, but it just came to mind. You have another son. So how, I'm sure there was this guilt or, you know, constant thought about, well, I'm giving so much attention to, to my one son. How do I manage uh, the attention deserved to my other? Well, and, and especially as a single mom. As a single mom. Uh, it was very difficult yeah. because there were many times that I had wished if I had had uh, a spouse or their father there, you go take him and do stuff with him right. while I deal with my son that has special needs. Right. Unfortunately, my son that's neurotypical had to be dragged along to all of the therapy appointments, uh, all of the treatments. And I I was sad about that, but there was nothing I could do. Uh, and so I he had to be pulled into that. Now, I, I don't really, I know a lot of people w- I might feel guilty. I don't feel guilty about it. I, I really feel that I also was cognizant of giving him the attention that he needed. Uh, Early on, um, when I had taken both of them uh, in the wake of of the separation from my husband uh, to get some counseling, um, one of the things that was very profound to me in some ways was that the therapist said to me, Carol, I'm not worried about your son with the autism. I'm worried about your other son. Mm -hmm. Because your son with the autism, he's going to have a rough road anyway. I'm worried about the other one. And that really resonated with me. I think that's why I didn't necessarily neglect it completely. Mm -hmm. You were aware of it. I was aware of it. And I bet he learned. My guess is he has grown and learned from this situation as well, um, developing his own empathy for others with problems. Well, that's another that's another show. Uh, and, and there are issues around the siblings, and there are workshops on siblings of children okay. with special needs. Right. Um, he got a bad break sometimes, Sue. Yeah. Uh, but um, I do think he has learned to empathize, but I don't think it was necessarily because of that. I actually think it was more my influence in some ways on him uh, on that issue, and that's another story. But uh, they are very close now, but they were not growing up. Yeah. Well, that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. Um, he, I think, he, he was embarrassed at times. Oh, I bet. Yeah. He was, uh, he didn't understand it. He he didn't, uh, the other thing that sometimes is the case with autism is that some of the behaviors look very deliberate. And so my son could not wrap his head around the fact that this wasn't intentional. Mm. And so he didn't have a lot of empathy. He had a lot of anger. There you go. Well, <laughs> buying for the attention. Siblings, you know, without any kind of complications or issues, um, are always, you know, fighting for the attention of mom and dad. And so then to add that into the mix, um, especially when they're young and they can't articulate what they're feeling and thinking. And it's a whole other thing with twins, too. I bet. Yeah. Very different because yeah. he expressed to me that he thought everybody thought he was like his brother, too, at times because people assumed that twins were always the same. Right. Yeah. And that was an interesting thing for me to hear as well. Right. Well, listen, when we we're going to take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about your work, what you're doing, talk about the workshops, talk about the speaking, you know, the things that you offer so that if uh, someone's listening and they're interested, they know uh, what you're doing and where to find you. So going into the break, we're going to hear from Holly Dowling for our Leadership Watch. You'll be listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back. Women to Watch. Leadership Watch. 
Hi, Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch. And today, as we embrace this beautiful time of year, the fall, I want to challenge everyone to fall back in love with you, your gifts, your strengths, and the brilliance of the gifts and strengths of the people around you. So as a leader, we get caught up in, wow, it's time to get back into the groove of the busyness of life. We've all had our summer vacations and families and all this time, and now it's kind of overwhelm hits as we hit the last quarter of the year. So I challenge and beg to pledge to all of you listening, fall back in love with you. Why are you waking up every day? What is it that you love about what you do? Get out a piece of paper, and for just a few moments, would you start writing what it is that you love to do, and what are the gifts and strengths that you bring to this world? And even more importantly, the challenge that I want you to take is to fall back in love with the gifts of the people around you. And I mean, that starts with the people you're leading in your organization, your colleagues, your team members, people in your personal life, your friends even the family members, your significant others and your children, would you please take a moment and take this challenge to fall back in love with everything about the people around you that makes them so brilliant? Because trust me, it gets really easy to lose sight of what it is we love about the people around us. We get caught up in the weeds, we berate ourselves, and we begin to only focus on what we feel ourselves and others are missing and what needs to be fixed. So this fall, it's time to fall back in love with you, your gifts, your strengths, and those of the people around you. Take the challenge and let somebody know how much you care. I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me at hollydowling.com, your leadership watch today. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives, and her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio listening to Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm speaking with Carol Weinman, an attorney here in Philadelphia who happens to uh, be an expert in autism. And I want to, you know, make sure we talk about the work that you do. What exactly are you doing every day um, as an attorney representing families um, who are dealing with issues around autism and education and legal matters? Okay. Well, I do uh, represent families, but my um, path has actually taken me uh, even more in the direction of uh, autism legal consulting uh, with other lawyers, with psychologists, uh, training, speaking. And uh, I have been certified uh, as an expert witness in autism, so I testify in court. But I also prepare reports for attorneys that are have a client with autism so that I fill in the autism piece. Okay. Um, and I'm uh, certified as an autism specialist as well. So I just wanted to get that in there to get the full picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of my work, I, I work with families of uh, children and adults on the spectrum uh, who are either need needs in the educational system uh, and need me to go advocate and fight for them to get what's in, what they're entitled to. Uh, And an area that's been a specialty niche of mine that's getting a lot more coverage in the press now 
uh, is autism and crime. Mm. And having been a criminal, started as a prosecutor, then a criminal attorney for over 25 years, the combination of bringing that together with people on the spectrum uh, being arrested uh, has been a fascinating area and one in which I feel I can make a huge contribution because I have learned that I have the dual expertise of the autism and the criminal law and that nobody out there has that dual expertise. So it, that's what became a calling. Mm -hmm. uh, although I do a lot of things in autism, that specialty niche almost became a calling because it's it's so unique. Right. And people, uh, it sort of found me. It's like a, a colleague said to me a while back, you know, this is what you should be doing, Carol. When he and I said, and and I heard it, and it was a seed planted, and then I didn't really do anything with it, and then it kept knocking at my door. Yeah. That, that's when I realized how it works. So right, it's like, that's right. phone rang again, and then again, and then again. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Um, right. And um, so it. So a lot of my work has been in the criminal justice system, in educating uh, professionals and parents uh, on the criminal justice system uh, with autism. Uh, and uh, and as I said, uh, also uh, doing education law and speaking on education law, which I spoke at a national conference on that as well. Uh, and uh, so my work is is basically in in, in those areas. I uh, I am doing more and more speaking on it. I feel that that's the way to really spread the word and the awareness of autism mm -hmm. is to be out there and speaking to people and large audiences to get them to understand it. Uh, it's all about raising awareness uh, and insight. And so I do it through speaking. I've done it. Uh, I have some uh, interviews and, and podcasts that were done online. Differentbrains.org did an interview on uh, me for the criminal justice system that talks about this issue. Uh, and so there's a lot more attention coming to it. Mm -hmm. uh, police officers, I've done trainings with them. Uh, so I love the training part that, you know, that also incorporates things I did pre-law yeah. uh, on training people. And, and I feel that uh, I can make a bigger impact doing training, speaking, writing uh, and consulting than I can on it necessarily in an individual case. So okay. I still handle cases. Right. But it's not the only thing I do. You enjoy the presentations? I understand I you're going to be doing one in presenting. Las Vegas in November. Yes. yes. I love presenting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I'm just I'm just absolutely loving it. And I have one coming up now uh, at the very end of November into the beginning of December. Uh, it is the United uh, the U.S. National uh, Autism Association is holding their annual conference and has asked me to speak on autism in the criminal justice system. Okay, that's true. And I'm really excited. Yeah. My uh, guess is you're going to get a lot more invitations because, again, being very unique in, in what you're doing, um, and, and that is great. That's a, a quicker way to kind of get the information out there and make people aware of what you're doing. Yes. Two questions I want to get in. Um, what What is... In the work that you do, two things. What would you most like to see changed around the laws and autism? And what is the toughest part of the job? I know that you're passionate and you enjoy what you do because you're so knowledgeable and it's personal. What's the hardest part? And, and what would you like to see changed? Well, what I'd like to see changed probably won't fit into to, to the confines of this show, but uh, I will touch on that. There or are maybe one of your segments you can... Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 There are, good point. There are a lot of things that need to be changed. Uh in the laws. And um, the, the most challenging part, which is part and parcel to that question, is getting 
people, professionals, uh, judges, lawyers, psychologists, uh, to really uh, understand what autism looks like. And not only what it looks like, what I would say the most challenging part, Sue, is that unlike mental illness, which sometimes people have wanted to put autism under that umbrella, it is not. Mm -mm. It is a developmental neurological disorder. Uh, The most challenging thing is to get people to understand that each person is different. That's why it's called a spectrum. And there's a famous saying out in the field by Stephen Shore, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Mm. That's different than mental illness. You know, mental illness has more finite or exact concrete markers, and you may treat it with medication or other ways. Autism, each person, it has so many subtleties to it. Mm. It's a very complicated disorder. And so my biggest challenge is getting people to be able to intimately understand it and to be able to um, understand the the subtleties that are often misunderstood as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a lot of cynicism sometimes around that. Uh, they, they, They don't want to believe that it's not under a person's control or that it's not deliberate. Uh, I would say that's the most challenging part is is really getting people to understand that they are not doing this of their own volition. Uh, and uh, and 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 I feel very committed to that that purpose. Uh, and so it has to be done in a way that uh, people can uh, understand, can understand it. And that's often not done um in, in a very superficial way. Or like, even understand that it's not clear cut, even just to have that knowledge, right? That the, the subtleties are there. There's a diagnosis, but it runs the gamut depending right, on the individual. Right. And, and the other thing that runs through all people with autism spectrum disorder is anxiety. Mm-hmm. And anybody that knows about anxiety, for example, it, it, everyone manifests it differently. That's it right. looks different in every person. Mm-hmm. It is the same thing in, in autism spectrum disorder. There are meltdowns, but there are reasons for those meltdowns. And they look different in every person and they're triggered and done for different reasons. That's where my challenge is to get people to understand. And I am very rewarded when I've given presentations and especially when I gave them to law enforcement or to legal. And they're like, wow, I had no idea. Mm. Wow. I understand better. That'll help me when I'm out in the field. Yeah, that's what that's that's my that's my goal. That's my goal. Well, I know you have books on the horizon, and I think that's going to be a great way to share your knowledge and, and break it into different categories, I guess. I have a couple books on the horizon, and and it's full circle from starting out as a writer yes, and wanting to do a book. Go. So I'm going to have a few books that absolutely deal with autism, probably one personal and one more uh, in terms of my uh, professional life. Terrific. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. Terrific. Thank you. Listen, I thank you so much for joining me uh, this evening and sharing your story. Carol, we'll be looking for your segments in the weeks to come. Okay. Thanks so much, Sue, for having me. Stay with us for Mary Manzo of Pathways Consulting for our Tech Watch. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso, partner and CEO of Pathways Consulting Group. The future of education and learning is ever-evolving through the use of technology. What speculations can we make and prepare for? Educators are rethinking the way students learn. Their focus is on redesigning education and utilizing technology to do it. The model of educating will become more virtual and cloud-based. Much of what I will talk about today is already taking place. That's how quickly technology is changing the world. Teachers that struggle with budgets for field trips won't have that worry anymore. Through virtual reality, field trips will come to the classroom. 
students will be able to tour museums of their choice through a pair of virtual reality glasses. Add gaming technology, and students will be able to interact with historians. They can be present for some of the most critical times in history. Teachers will be able to use 3D printing to create replicas of things only seen in the pages of books, while students can leverage this same technology to construct their projects. Textbooks in the classroom are already becoming a thing of the past. Laptop schools upload textbooks to the digital library, eliminating the need to carry them around, lose them, or forget them at home. The dog ate my homework? That will become a phase of the past and never be used again. Why? Because cloud storage is becoming widely accepted in both the workplace and now the classroom. Homework assignments are being submitted electronically and I believe will become the norm as more schools continue to adopt laptop learning. Is it possible that online learning for major universities will become the trend driving the cost of education down for parents? It already is. According to U.S. News, Ohio State, Embry-Riddle, Temple University, and Penn State rank as some of the best online accredited colleges in the U.S. Many students who cannot afford to attend in person will attend virtually. These changes provoke a wide variety of controversies, but is the direction we are now headed in. What's your opinion? I'd like to know. You can email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Sense the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.